Hello and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place where we share creative and inspiring learning in our schools. Season 1, Episode 2. Hi and welcome back to Education on Fire. Today I'm going to be introducing my resident expert and retired head teacher, Peter Cancel. Hi Peter. Hi Mark. So can you give us a bit of a background of your experience um, and what it is that you're going to be offering on our show? Yes, of course. Um, I've been in education probably 35 years now uh, in a professional capacity. I was in it for a while before that. But I've been teaching in middle schools, doing advisory work, um, and then eventually became the head of a primary school. Uh, this was for 15 years in, in a lovely village called Harwell in Oxfordshire. Um, since then, since retiring, um, I've been, I continued to chair the Oxfordshire Head Teachers Association, which is the body that negotiates between schools and the local authority and anybody else, increasingly anybody else um, that, that's involved with schools. Um, but then I founded an independent education think tank called the Oxford School of Thought. Um, and just in case I'm not busy enough, I became an associate lecturer for Oxford Brookes University, supervising students who are doing their um, teaching experience in schools. Great. Um, can you expand a bit more on the think tank? That sounds like a really interesting thing to have to have come up with and been involved with. Of course, yeah. This, this came out of... Um, a couple of weeks I had off school, I, I had a quadruple heart bypass, and so I had to take a bit of time off school. And one of the things that I noticed was that there was no independent voice for education, particularly primary education. That's my my uh, driving driving influence in primary education. Um, and I thought, well, why is this? You know, why isn't there anybody that speaks out apart from the government, the unions, and maybe an odd head teacher here and there? Nobody seems to represent education in general and all the other stories we hear on the news there's an independent voice and so I looked into it and couldn't find any independent think tanks and so talking to my son who's in publishing he said well then the answer is to start one and so uh, when I got a bit of time and I retired that's what I did we're hoping that what we would become is a voice that people can turn to to get an unbiased view about education. Um, there are so many voices which come across as um, having a particular um, axe to grind. And I, I think that somebody that can try and see clearly that there are different views, but there are clear, um, clear ways in which education should be carried on, um, seems to me to be the way to go forward. We've, we've gained a lot of people who are associates of, of the think tank, um, a whole list of, of the great and the good in education, including people like Richard Gerver, Tim Brighouse, sorry, Sir Tim Brighouse, um, uh, John Hattie, former Secretary of State for Education, uh, a whole range of people who are, who are involved in it. Um, and the idea is that, that, that we um, have discussions about various things and we try to give an opinion when it's when it's called for. The, the difficulty is is getting established. Yeah, that sounds 
sounds really, really interesting. And I, and I, and I like the uh, the creative aspect of that, of finding something you think, well, I think this is a good idea, and can I find it out there? And if it, if it's not out there, then, as you said, the way forward is is to create it yourself and, and see where it goes. And um, and that sort of spills over really nicely into into our sort of idea of education and that sort of creative and inspiring um, setup. So can you tell me a little bit about um, why you went into becoming a head teacher? Was it a natural progression um, based on being a classroom teacher or, or, um, or was it something you always aspired to do? It was a natural progression for me. Um, but possibly not regarded as a natural progression in other terms because I went straight from being a classroom teacher to becoming a head teacher and I went from middle schools to primary schools. There were a number of circumstances. The, the, the middle to primary was because Oxfordshire, Oxford itself um, decided to get in line with the rest of Oxfordshire and close their middle schools and make them become primaries and that was fine. Um, and I taking the decision that I need to, to go into primary education anyway, um, I felt very strongly that the, the trend for middle schools in Oxford um, was getting too far away from the primary ideal, which I felt was the most valuable aspect. I found that children in year seven, year eight, who were getting a primary environment were succeeding far, far better than, than children in secondary based environments where they're getting specialist teachers for everything and that that fragmented approach so um, I felt very much more comfortable with the, with the, the the holistic approach that primary education offered so that that was the reason for my move into primary education um, the reason that I that I went from being a class teacher and had the arrogance to think that uh, that I could possibly be a head teacher um, without becoming a deputy first was because I saw very little benefits in being a deputy. I saw that you got all the bad stuff and none of the good bits. So I, I tried tried to uh, to, to step over that that link, which I which I was successful in doing. And just to just to clarify for some of the listeners, um, in terms of the different types of schools, so, um, primary now goes up to basically the age of eleven, and then yep. secondary school starts from there all the way through to. Um, 16 with their GCSEs and then A level after that. Um, so when the middle school system was in place, that what age was it that you went between middle school then before you then went to proper secondary school? It, it varies in different places, but but in Oxford it it, it was um, year five to year eight, so that's from age nine to thirteen. Right, I see. Some middle schools are eight to twelve, but but in most cases it's nine to thirteen. And I think it's it's a topic that I'd like to cover um, in later seasons of this. But I think yeah. uh, the transition between primary and secondary is a really big one. And having had um, two children myself, which have been through that, um, um, I was going to say barrier. And I think barrier is probably quite a good word because the type of schooling and the, and the type of way that you're treated between those two things is actually quite stark. Um, and, um, and I think some kind of support between those two ways of... Um, of having to be from the school I think is actually something which could actually help everybody from the parents point of view as well as the the children's point of view so I think that's something I definitely want to cover as one of our topics as we as we expand um, education on fire in the future. Yeah I think so too it, it, it's an important important aspect I, I saw great benefits in the middle school system of that transfer um, at that age I mean you know the reason that children transfer at 11 is purely arbitrary you know, there isn't actually a, an educational reason for changing schools at 11. 
So we could come back to that, Mark. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes. There we are. We're, we're expanding as we're t- as we're talking. It's fantastic. <laughs> so, um, in terms of how the podcast is going to work in the future, as, as I've people would have heard in my um, episode zero when I was talking about myself and why I've set education on fire up, um, we want to have topics where we can actually explain good practice and and creativity and inspiring education for children um, and actually be able to make it on a real practical level on a real sort of this is what you can do in your classroom yourself and some ideas about how to do that and there'll be resources and downloads and things from the website educationonfire.com but also if things are slightly broader than that or you need some support from the head teacher and the governing body um one of the most important things is how you go about approaching your um, line manager or or your head teacher about how that's how that's going to work. Um, and what I'd like is is for you to be able to give them some advice on how you go about that and how how there must be a supportive way of actually trying to create that if if that's not the um, environment in the school currently. Oh, tricky! It it's it's surprising how much. Um, uh, fear there is amongst school staff about approaching a head teacher. It, it was that was the thing that struck me more than anything else. Becoming a head teacher, um, you suddenly discover that you have this um, power to change things which you've never had in the past. But suddenly, people are scared to talk to you, and and good head teachers will have that open door. Will ensure that they are in contact with their staff. What you suggested is that there are some head teachers that aren't quite like that, and, and how, you, how you break their doors down is the difficulty, isn't it? But it, but you've got to believe, you've got to have a passion for these things, Mark. If you don't have a passion to get it done, it's not going to happen. But all head teachers will want to see things improving. Now, it's how they define improvement that's the tricky bit. If they have that narrow definition, that's just about. Um, maths and English, it's just about SATs results, it's just about GCSE results or A-level results. If that's the definition of what, what's improvement, then, um, you know, that becomes very tricky if you want to do something more creative than that and more interesting than that. I was always very receptive to new ideas and to particularly to creative ideas. The one thing that, that head teachers, I would say to those creative people out there, the one thing that head teachers find it very difficult to, to um, deny is when you put on a very successful stage production, a concert or, or a play or musical or something of that sort, because A, it brings in so many parents, it brings in positive responses, it can bring in money. TED teachers are very driven by bringing in money, I think. Um, but it also gives those children so much and develops them so much. So I think that's a really good way of getting performance things happening in school. Very hard for heads to deny that. They do, but it's very hard for them to deny it. So that, I think I think that's that's the the most creative way in, the probably the, the most successful way in. And also, you know, it it, it paints the paints the head in the in the, the light of being a killjoy if they don't want to do it. That's um that's really interesting and and the thing I'd like to pick up on there is the fact is actually been able to show people, um, people in the room or 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 just been able to say look you can see what the children are getting out of this or you can experience what that's like, um and that's really what this show is all about. It's it's not just talking about how 
something could happen or what ideas we think are really good. It's actually going to be highlighting and spotlighting an actual school which is already doing something like that. So um, so from that performance element, you said, you know, I'm going to be doing a music topic is one of the seasons and I'm going to go into schools which are very musical, which have got all the support in the world and been able to show how you do that within the classroom, um, what staff they bring in to support that um, and what kind of performances they're able to do. But that's great when things are up and running really well. But I'm also going to want to show that if you're just um, a teacher who doesn't have much musical support within a school, but it's really important to you, um, we've got the expertise to be able to then just show you what you can do on a daily basis or a weekly basis of things just to get things going. Um, and and so from that experience and been able to for your head teacher to hear the podcast to be able to um, see exactly what's gone on in other schools on a really basic level just so that you can just open that door a little bit and say look we can do this it might not cost any money to begin with but this experience in this school um, these kids are already fired up they're really enjoying it they're wanting me to do some more of this thing and it's just as you said when that's the case it's very hard to then say no because all you're doing is a positive thing you're not trying to um change the system all in one go it's just literally from the, the the ground up just small things which you can implement that just changes the environment enough for people to start to realize actually it's possible and you don't have to do a really big gear shift and you don't have to rock the boat massively in order for change to happen let's talk a little bit about some of the some of the good trends that that you've seen in education in in recent times and and also how that fits into the into the system because the one thing i don't want to do is to get too um, bogged down with um, the various policies and government ideas about things because the one thing I'm very aware of is that policies change and governments change and if we're all waiting for the perfect time for our children to be educated then we may well be waiting a long time and in the meantime um, our kids are still in school at the moment and we're still trying to teach them every day so what are the positive things that you see on a on a, on a daily basis that actually um are things that we can think about in terms of implementing change just on those small levels even if it's just a way of the way that you speak to the children or the way you start the day or, or the environment that you're trying to create no matter what it is that you're actually having to teach specifically that's a good try mark but you're not going to get away from the fact that we have got an education system which is in a mess <laughs> at the very moment and you know there's all the talk about grammar plus grammar school places at the moment and that futile argument about introducing more selection how that will increase social mobility it baffles me but but there are more fundamental issues and the pressures on schools to narrow the curriculum are really what i see as being the most important things and so you know we must come back to that at some point but you know denying children the opportunity to experience the arts so that they become better at maths and english you know it, it just seems to me to, to be nonsense and then to, to, to say that those those subjects, you know, can be reduced even more to an examinable test, you know, which is fairly dubious in its merits anyway, you know, I think is a real worry. And, and you know, that's on top of all the issues about teacher training and the way that's been narrowed down about the way in which PE teachers or teachers in primary schools, particularly uh, having their PE uh, taught largely by coaches and so the teaching element's gone out of it so there are a whole raft of things that we do need to address at a future date maybe but they are you know as you say they're not then 
the, the policy things, just whatever's current. And so we must make sure we, we make it the, the fundamental things. But there are, there are good things. There are good things out there. There are schools that manage to still give um, children, you know, a broad and balanced education. You wonder what happened to that. But, it, but, but communication is so important. Talking to children, talking to their parents, being able to have that relationship where a child feels that, that they've got someone they can trust. And in primary schools, that is so often their class teacher. But it, I, would, I would argue also that, it, that, it, that it's very helpful if that can be um, that relationship with the head teacher as well. I always did my best to make sure that children were always more than happy to come and talk to me. Um, and uh, it was a bit embarrassing sometimes when you had inspectors in and the children would wander in and <laughs> give their opinion about something. But, <laughs> but apart from that, um, you know, I, I always encourage children to try to talk to me as though you know it was i could understand what they were saying and i would try to talk to them so that they could understand what i was saying really important we we don't value the benefits of communication enough it seems to me um i've ranted a bit and therefore forgotten what your original question was now because you were quite specific <laughs> but it was it was it was really the the idea of sort of um, the positive trends that are going on but I think you, you you did cover that thing about the communication is a really key thing I think a part of it's getting back to the real essence of what it is that we're trying to do and you know the whole idea that you know it's about um, teaching and supporting the child to be the best person that they are um, and and while there is a curriculum that has to be followed and all those things there are things that we can do daily and, and like you just said you know the way you talk to somebody having an open door um, actually listening and um and interestingly, one of the things that's come up for me over the last few months is being involved with a school that was talking about um, their ethos and what, what the school was about and what is it that separates us out from, from everybody else. Um, and I thought a lot of that was actually a little bit the wrong way round, actually just being who you want to be within a school and a bit like a stick of rock, making sure that every decision that you make, every conversation you have, everything that you want to get across is the same all the way through that stick of rock. Um, that gives you your ethos because you every decision you make and everything you want to teach comes from the same from the same starting point and so how you deal with the parents how you deal with the children how you deal with your staff um, all of those things are based on on the same essence of, of what you want your school to be and how you want it to feel and, and I think the ethos comes out of that rather than having just a few words on a on a piece of paper that you then just refer to occasionally um, and I think that's probably a big thing that separates the, the really great schools out there um, is just the fact that everything they do comes with real purpose and real understanding of what they're trying to achieve that that comes back to one of the things I was saying about, about teacher training, the, the current trend towards the apprentice model, which seems a bit bizarre. It seems to me it's going back to um, pre-war, back to First World War, uh, and taking the Victorian model of the apprentice model, school direct system. Um, I, I observe um, students training to be teachers in this way, and I see fantastic practitioners. I see teachers who are really good in the classroom are really able to manage a class to get their message across to children to build those relationships with children which which fundamentally is what we want to happen 
However, what worries me about it is that they're not getting the depth of understanding to understand why they're doing that. And in 10 years time, when we need them to step up to become senior leaders, will they have that depth and breadth of knowledge, which, which has for me, has always stood me in good stead because it's justified for me, the reason why I do things. You know, I would sit down with my staff and talk about um, why we were going to do something. I would hope that, that what I did was, was talk with them long enough so they believed it's what they wanted to do. That was that was what I was always trying to do. Because, you know, it's no good me going there as a head teacher and saying this is what we will do and we will do it this way because I say so. Because people will do it. People are very loyal and they're, they're very professional. But actually, they won't know why they're doing it and why they would want to do it. And so that's the important thing is to get that ethos across to everybody in the school to get to. And I used to talk to children in the same way as I talked to the staff and share with the children what we'd said in staff meetings about what we want to achieve with the school and how we want to make it as good as we could. And I think that's really important. And I think what you just said about that, the ethos in the school, in the school that you were talking about, um, you know, it's, it is vital. It's absolutely vital. And it's funny, you know, often parents would say to me, how do I know when I'm choosing to go to um, another school, to a secondary school, perhaps, or they were moving house and they, they want advice on which school to go to? How do I know whether it's a good school or not? And as an education professional, I found that very tricky because the only thing I could say as a parent as well was, you know, you walk in the door and you get that feeling. And you do get a feeling about some places that are welcoming, that want you to be there. And that must be how children feel. We have a great responsibility to make children feel welcome and to make them feel so they want to be there. It worries me that actually with a lot of schools, the um, pressures on security have made them to feel more like places that you don't want to get into, you can't get into and people don't want you to get out of. So, um, you know, I think there's there are issues there. But making children feel that they want to be there is is really important yes and um and as the show's expanding in my head every time that we chat it's uh, <laughs> um it, it, it the, the the fundamentals of what it is that we're trying to achieve just just keep coming back to me you know it it's not about how you teach maths or english or music or any of the arts with lots of you know it all starts about how the child how the um the child feels in the school how yeah interested they are in what they're doing and how they feel they've got enough expanse in there to sort of follow what it is they're doing through and ask questions and feeling secure and and so it may well be that the first thing you think about is you know how do I feel as I walk into the school and you know my, my first um my first conversation with a, with a member of staff and um and and those sorts of things as well I'm not sure having not been through teacher training myself I'm not sure whether those are the things that come up when you're training um but interestingly enough it's it's something which we are going to be able to follow because um we are going to have some some guest podcasts um and some guest blogs as we're going to follow some um some students through their training um and and get a real idea of what their aspirations are and why they were keen to go into the profession um through their training to see how the training actually works and how supportive it is for what they wanted and whether as it goes through it's exactly what they imagined it would be right the way through to their experiences they go into schools and start training within schools and also right into the profession as they start to get jobs and and, and begin their careers um as as full-time teachers and um 
I'm kind of hoping it will be a bit of a two-way street that that we'll get an insight into what they think and and how it works for them and the positive things that they gain from that um, and also how the reality may be slightly different but also these conversations that we're having in, in the, and as the podcast um, develops um, things that they can be supported with and and take into the schools as they start their um, start their careers and actually have a sense of that they've got some control over what they want to do as well they're not just necessarily having to fit into something which is already there but within that system they can actually bring ideas and, and a way of being and an understanding of what's important from the really real beginning of as, as they start out in their in their life in education it's, it's extremely important and um, what what's what they will find um, as all of us have found in our teaching roles is that the first bit is so difficult it's so it's so draining uh, the training is is uh, is, is very uh, hard work because being with children all the time is hard work you know it's it's emotionally draining um, and it, and it it comes home to you when you go on a school trip and you think well I'm not in the classroom I'm not teaching all day but you get back from it and you're absolutely exhausted and it's it's actually that responsibility and that 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 strain of being responsible for children totally responsible for them it is is hard hard work and it, and that's what the students will find and they will find in their first year in their jobs it doesn't get any better but it does slowly get better <laughs> over the over the years you build up the muscles but it's hard work then to do to, to continue with the learning you know when you think you've 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 finished your training and you can start working in the classroom it's hard to to recognize that you have to continue driving forward to develop your own ideas and it's very tempting to just stop developing your own ideas and uh, and that's that's the worry for me I, I, I get going back to what you were saying about you know earlier about children in being in school i used to say to parents that that you know when they asked me what 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 was the fundamental driver for what children were doing in school i used to tell them that i thought the most important thing was the children were happy I, I didn't have any evidence to suggest that children learned better when they were happy, but I saw children that weren't happy who came into the school from other places and they were not learning when they were unhappy. And I think we can all recognise that. And it's a very simple message, isn't it? To have a happy place, you know, makes, makes people much better learners. I, I think absolutely. I think, you know, as soon as you're not happy and inspired and wanting to learn then everything becomes much more um, difficult um, and and that line is a really important one because as soon as you cross it one it's important to realize that you've crossed it and also how you how you return to to that point and um and I think what I'd like to do is to be able to support both um the children from that point of view and if you see that that's not really working out as a teacher and as, as someone in education how you change that back and most of that is just taking it back into what am I doing now how's their experience in this particular situation you know what other things can I do to to, to bring make people secure enough to feel that they 
they they are happy and, and wanting to be uh, creative um but also to support um the, the teachers and the member of staff as well as you said you know being responsible for for children is exhausting and you know what what's out there to support teachers in terms of their well-being you know because the only way that you can be a great teacher and be inspiring and and full of life and um, vitality for to inspire your children is to is to feel like that yourself and if that's not how you're feeling you know thinking about routines ideas you know your general well-being and things that you can do to support yourself to enable that to come across in your classroom I feel is something which is probably often lacking in terms of training and understanding and even just the conversations about how you go about doing that sort of thing and I think some of those fundamentals are, are something which are, are be a really positive thing to cover um, as we develop yeah yeah, I think you're right. I I, I think that that I, I, a long time ago I I, I co-wrote a book about raising self-esteem in the primary school, and the first chapter that we wrote was about actually making sure that teachers had good high self-esteem because quite often we don't remember that we forget that it teachers need to be in a good place first. It, it all, yes, it's. Uh... It's a it's a really key thing, and and I think how we um how we approach that will be an interesting thing, and uh, it's a uh, it's an area of life which I'm I'm very into and very keen, and I know my successes and and my creativity and and the things which I've loved to do have all come from a point where I feel positive and happy and know what I'm about and how I want to go about it and then in order to go about it and create it, you need to be in that place where you want to get up every morning and go and do it and um. And so without that, um, everything becomes a bit more of a struggle. So anything we can do to support everybody to, to be in that place, I think, is really is a really good place to start. So. So, yeah, so let's just just to round off um, and, and just remind everybody about how the, the, the podcast in, in season two onward is going to is going to work, as I would have mentioned in um, in my first episode about myself and about the podcast. We're really taking individual topics per season Um and and going into schools and education environments and and just seeing what's working out there what what situations in each topic are, are inspiring children and making it a happy place and and a positive one um in a learning environment um and and at the end of each of those episodes um i'm going to bring you back in and we're and we're going to have a conversation about the the merits of these things and talk about why we think it works and 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 what's made it such a positive experience for everybody um and as we we talked on briefly earlier on the the ways that you can try and create that within your own school and your own classroom whether it's just little things that you can do on your own which uh, um which is obviously just a question of, of implementing themselves, um, but also how you go about speaking to your um, head teachers or governing body or whoever you need to speak to to have a slightly broader, bigger thing. And that's usually probably a, a longer journey. But just, as we said, opening the door enough just to start to let these things seep in and actually have real classroom examples or real school examples of these things that have actually already happened so that when you go and speak to people you can say but it's not just an idea it's actually already out there and this is how I think it can actually be put into practice yeah I'm looking forward to it immensely Mark I'm pleased to say that that uh, having become a head teacher one of the great benefits was having time to think uh, and time to um, consider these things. And since retiring to Hindi, you have even more time to think. So, so I'm looking forward to it immensely. And uh, and, uh, and uh, I can't wait for the first session.
Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for, for being on with me today. Um, and as you know, um, season two is going to be about technology and computing and ICT and things in, in the school and in the classroom. Um, so I'll see you on the first one of those. I'll try not to remember too much about the BBC Micro. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes. <laughs> we'll see how far we go back and how far it's come. <laughs> OK, thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information, please go to educationonfire.com.